Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Lance Meadow, John Schmelk, and you at 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you want to talk a little Giants football, we'll continue our look through the NFL draft with a couple more schools today. We'll be joined by Alex Cupper, who is the analyst on Louisville Radio, former NFL offensive lineman. He'll be joining us at 1230. And in a few minutes, we'll have Shannon Green from the Orlando Sentinel, and she will discuss some of the University of Central Florida players coming out in the draft. And um, Lance, we're getting closer. We are nine days away from round number one, and still not a whole lot is clear. Well, and I think there's a lot of rumors that are coming to the forefront by the day, John. I don't think that's necessarily a surprise. Every other day, it's Cleveland's taking this player. The Giants are interested in this player. This team may move up. So I think you're going to hear a lot more of that in the coming days. And this is because it's strategy. Every team wants to think what they're doing is the right thing to do, and they want everybody else to know that. But then all of a sudden, you see the script is going to flip as we get closer. The Giants remain, remain a mystery, though. Yeah, no they one do. really seems to have them pegged down. You know, the Browns, everyone seems to have them down to two guys. The Giants, I don't think anyone would be surprised if they traded the pick. I don't think anyone would be surprised if they took Sam Darnold if he was there. I don't think anyone would be surprised if they took Saquon Barkley. I don't think anyone would be surprised if they took Bradley Chubb. So, still a lot up in the air when it comes to the Giants and what they do, which is good. It probably makes their ability to negotiate a trade a little bit easier when nobody knows what their goals are. Yeah, it gives them some leverage. And also, as you mentioned, if they choose to keep the pick, which I think they should, you obviously have multiple options that you can choose from at multiple positions at number two. And all of these players, in all likelihood, would come in year one and have a significant impact. And we will get to your calls at 201-939-4513 in between our two guests. But we'll go to our first guest, and that's Shannon Green from the Orlando Sentinel Covers. UCF football. Shannon, I know this is your last week covering the team, so I figure get one last go here at talking about some of the players you've seen grow a lot at UCF. you got John Schmuck and Lance Mello in East Rutherford, New Jersey. How are you today? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? We're doing, doing great. Well. Well, let's start with uh, a number of intriguing prospects, Shannon, that uh, Central Florida has. And one of the guys that jumps off the page, I think, is Mike Hughes. But, you know, there's some question marks about whether or not his sample size is enough that it's going to transfer to the National Football League. And I know he moved around from school to school. What did you see out of him? And does he have enough substance on his resume that teams you think are going to be highly interested in him at the cornerback position? Well, I didn't get that impression at all that people were concerned about his sample size when I was at the Combine in Indianapolis last month. Matter of fact, um, that was the kid that, you know, several of the scouts that I spoke with talked about. Um, there was a high level of interest in him. Um, they talked about, you know, his speed. Obviously, he has some size on him, um, and he's a good cover corner. So I've heard nothing but praise about him. Uh, obviously, he didn't run the fastest time at the Combine, a 4.53, but people who have seen his tape, they know what he's capable of. I mean, he's the reason why, a huge part of the reason why UCF went undefeated last season. Had it not been for his 98-yard kickoff return against <laughs> USF, they wouldn't have even been in the Peach Bowl. So, um, so yeah, I've heard nothing but great things about him. You know, Shannon, and you look at his measurables, 5'10", 189, and just looking at the measurables, it screams slot corner. But then you go, you look at the tape, and he's playing physical bump and run coverage on the perimeter near the sideline. Where do you think he eventually winds up in the pros? Is he going to stay more of a boundary corner, or do you think he's eventually going to move inside? 
Well, that would be a better question, I think, for the GMs and the, and the scouts. I mean, I'm not really sure how they're going to necessarily see him fitting into their specific systems. Um, I definitely think, judging by what you've seen him do at UCF, he has the ability to play just about anywhere you need him to play. Um, he definitely, uh, I think he's really good in man-to-man coverage. I think that is definitely his strength. Um, like I said, he has good speed. So it, it really is going to depend on what teams want to pick him up and to determine how they want to use him. His special teams play, obviously, is important to note, too, Shannon. I mean, he's made a number of explosive plays during the course of his career. In terms of kickoffs versus punts, is there a difference in his performance, or is he versatile enough that he could easily handle both at the next level? No, I think he's versatile enough to where he could handle both, for sure. I mean, obviously, to to be good at any of those positions, you have to have good vision, good instincts, and good reflexes, which he definitely has all of those intangibles to be able to execute that at the next level. You know, Shannon, it's funny, between Shaquem Griffin's great story, and we'll get to him in a second, and Mike Hughes, who could go in the first round, I feel like Traquan Smith has almost kind of been lost in the mix here when it comes to UCF prospects coming out in the draft. But he ran a sub-4-5-40 at the combine, a 4-4-9. His production was off the charts. He's got good size at 6'1", 210 pounds. Uh, what did you see from Smith at UCF, and do you think that he's kind of flown under the radar a little bit during this draft proce- uh, process? I'm glad you brought that up. I'm surprised that more people don't talk about Traquan Smith. I think um, out of all of the guys that are being looked at for the next level, I think he's actually the one that probably has the best shot to have a long-lasting career. Wow. Um, he had a really good pro day. Um, he did well at the Combine. And the biggest strength that he has is his really good hands. I mean, literally, you can throw anything at him in any direction, and he's just going to about catch it every single time. Um, not to mention, this is a kid that did not start playing football until his junior year in high school. So when you think wow. about the fact that he hasn't played football as long as many of his peers, and you look at his development and his growth, I think the sky is the limit for how he could continue to develop at the next level. It's interesting because from what I read, Shannon, I mean, he was a highly recruited athlete coming out of high school. He was a track star. Is there a reason why he chose Central Florida as opposed to maybe went to a school that would have given him a little bit more exposure? Well, I think most of the guys that you'll talk to in terms of why did they go to UCF, um, because you have an opportunity to play. You know, when you go to schools like Miami or Florida State or Florida, um, they're going to tend to over-recruit in their positions. So if you go to those schools, you may not have an opportunity to get a chance to immediately start, whereas you go to a school like UCF, you have a better shot at getting on the field quicker. So I definitely think being able to play uh, was a good shot for him. I think being close to home was important to him. Uh, Delray Beach, which is where he's from, isn't very far from Central Florida. It's only a couple hours away. So I definitely think that was uh, something that he wanted to do, and that's where his support system was. We're joined by Shannon Green from the Orlando Sentinel covers UCF football. One more on Traquan for me. You mentioned how he only started playing football in his junior year in high school. Still room to improve, room to develop. Uh, Where do you think he still needs a little bit of development? And what do you think his greatest strengths are at the current time? I think his greatest strengths are, like I said, he has great hands. Um, He isn't necessarily the fastest. Like just straight up and down the field speed. Um, I don't think that's necessarily his game, though. Um, and nor do I think you necessarily have to run a four-three-four-four every single time. You know, you're on the field because not every time when you're in the game are you going to be running in a straight line. Right. Um, so I definitely think he has good vision, uh, good hands. I think that he can learn things very quickly. 
um, someone who can really catch on to just about any sort of offensive system. Um, so I definitely think he has a lot going for him. Well, somebody else who I think has a lot going for him is Shaquem Griffin. Quite a story, as John alluded to earlier, Shannon, and put up astounding numbers at the Combine. Is one of the nice stories in terms of what he's been able to accomplish off the field as well. His brother with the Seattle Seahawks. Everybody's going to question, though, his physical limitations. You know, how is that going to perhaps be an advantage or a problem at the NFL level? How is he as a tackler, given the linebacker position is so important in stopping the run and wrapping up players? Well, I think that he's a very good tackler. I definitely think if you follow his career at uh, UCF and saw what he was able to do in the American Athletic Conference, um, which has a lot of good offenses. Um, I don't know if you know much about the league, but you know they tend to run a lot of spread offenses, um, have a lot of speed, and I think he did very well. He was a huge part of the success of UCF, not just last season, but for the last two years when he was switched from being a safety to a linebacker. Um, I know one of the things that he's also gotten questioned about is, you know, how does he sort of, how does he have elusiveness? How does he, you know, get around offensive linemen who may try to, you know, bat him out the way? And he said that, you know, one of his strengths is that he's a good spinner. <laughs> he knows how to he knows how to spin out of tackles or or blocks in order to get to his man. So um, I definitely think that he has learned over the years how to build up certain strengths that may compensate for something that he may not be able to do since he does have one hand. Um, but he's had you know twenty two years of experience to learn how to how to you know prepare for that. Yeah, Shannon, and and I think you hit it on the head because if you go and you watch the tape you wouldn't even know that he's playing with any sort of disadvantage. And he plays multiple positions. I was at the Senior Bowl. They lined him up at safety. They lined him up as a almost a defensive end, outside linebacker, pass rusher. They lined him up off the ball as a linebacker. He ran a ridiculous 4-3-8 at the combine, which for a guy that theoretically could play linebacker is just insane. His versatility... I think is something that's going to really attract NFL teams. Are they going to say, you know what, this guy has so many physical abilities, we can put him in so many different spots. And even if he might not fit somewhere else, we're going to find the place to play this guy because he simply makes a lot of plays. I mean, I hope that's how they look at it. It was very interesting to see the perception of Shaquem change throughout the four days at the Combine. I mean, you know, the first day you get there, people, you know, some people didn't really know who he was. And when I say some people, I'm talking about media members. Um, and, you know, once he did what he did in the bench press, this was even before, you know, the, the epic run that he had. Yeah. <laughs> when people saw what he did in the bench press, all of a sudden you start to see everybody you know, turn the direction to, well, wait a minute, who is this kid? and What can he do? Um, and I do know that, you know, I think that there, there were definitely a lot of NFL scouts and GMs that were very much so interested in. But I want to see, you know, are the owners going to share that interest as well? Because you and I both know, yep. you know, the NFL can be very conservative in terms of their beliefs and how they view, you know, players. This is the same league where you have guys that get questioned about their sexuality. That's you know, true. during interviews. You're right. So I do wonder sometimes, you know, well, how is that, how is the belief of the GMs and the scouts going to align with the owners? And if that aligns, and I think, you know, he has a really good shot to play anywhere. Um, I, I'm pretty sure Seattle would love to have him there. <laughs> so that's a great <laughs> marketing opportunity to have two twins, two, you know, a great story. And, you know, listen, off the field, he's a great kid. So not just on the field is he productive, but off the field, he's a very marketable personality. 
And his twin, by the way, Shaquille, does yeah. play for the Seahawks. Well, and I think it's a valid point, Shannon, that you brought up. It really depends on the perspective of owners and coaches and how open they are and how they look to take advantage of his versatility because I believe the previous coaching staff at Central Florida before Scott Frost took over essentially you know, brought in Shaquille because they really wanted his brother Shaquille. But then all of a sudden Absolutely. it seemed as if once Frost and his coaching staff opened up a bigger role for Shaquille, he started to spread his wings. So how much... Did Frost's decision-making really open the door for Shaquem over the last few seasons? I mean, well, that was everything. And, and it, was a, it wasn't it was just Scott Frost. I mean, actually, uh, Travis Fisher and Sean Becton, who were carryovers from the O'Leary staff, they were the ones who really advocated for Shaquem in the beginning to say, hey, you know, this is a kid that's been in the program for a couple of years, hasn't really been given a fair shot to play. You know, take a, take a good look at him. So he had many advocates. They advocated for him. Um, Eric Shenander, who was the defensive coordinator at the time, as well as Javon DeWitt, who was the linebacker's coach, they all took looks at him, and then they made a group decision to say, hey, you know what? He doesn't need to play safety. He needs to be a linebacker. <laughs> you know, when you look at his size and, you know, what he can do on the field. So it, I know Scott Frost gets all the credit, but it really was, you know, a group decision on the part of the coaching staff, but obviously it does start with Scott Frost having the open mind to even, you know, take a serious look and, and be open-minded enough to say, okay, you know what, we're going to give everybody a fresh start. We're not going to look at, you know, what the last staff did or what they said about this player. We're going to give you a chance to show us what you're made of. And, you know, Shaquem is the type of kid where if you give him an open door, he's going to bust through it and show you every time that, you know what, he can do anything you tell him to do. Yeah, and I had a chance to talk to him at the Senior Bowl, too, and just, just a wonderful young man with a great attitude, and, and his, his effort and will help him make it in the league. want to jump to the last player uh, that I'm going to touch on with you, and that's uh, Jordan Aikens, your tight end. 6'3", 237. Uh, I watched him at the Senior Bowl live. He knows how to get downfield. He catches the ball well. He really seems to fit the prototype of what these NFL teams are looking at for a modern-day NFL tight end. I think so, too. I think he's going to be a unique story because I think he's someone that has a chance to have a better pro career than a college career. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, in college, he ne he didn't necessarily have one season where you could say, oh, man, that was the breakout year. He had 15 touchdowns and whatnot. And some of that was a result of the system, too, because the system that Scott Frost ran, it was very diverse and it was very nuanced and it utilized several playmakers <laughs> so that you know he he didn't necessarily get all the catches uh because he wasn't necessarily always in the line of the ball and also he was blocking as well um so i definitely think he has a, a really great opportunity to have a solid pro career um you know he's 25 so he's older right. um he's he's been a professional athlete before because he played professional baseball yeah. i think that's very helpful because you know your maturity and your mentality you know in, in terms of your approach to the game is very important because as you know, you know, when you're playing at the professional level, it's not just about talent. It's about dealing with all of the adversity, you know, that happens outside of the football field and being disciplined enough to take care of yourself to compete at that level. So I definitely think, you know, mentally he's there, physically he's there. Um, it's just a matter of getting in the right system. Yeah, I'm seeing he, nearly half of his catches went for 20-plus yards this season, so clearly he was able to prove that he gets separation and come up with the big plays. Shannon, you brought up that he was asked to block, and maybe that's why his numbers didn't jump off the page. How would you assess his blocking since that's so important at the next level? 
Oh, I think he's definitely a great blocker. Um, you know, if you talk to the left tackle, uh, Aaron Evans, that he, he's number one advocate for that. <laughs> so he definitely was very helpful for the offensive line. And the offensive line was one of the most improved units from year one to year two under Scott Frost. And I definitely think um, Jordan Aikens played a huge role in that in terms of just adding some girth to the line. Because like you said, he's got size. You know, he's 6'3", six, 6'4", six, big body, um, can get down low. He, he's definitely a solid blocker. Uh, Shannon, just want to give you a chance to give me two little thumbnails on the two other UCF players coming out in the draft. Uh, Jamias Pittman, I believe, and Aaron Evans. Yes. What do you know about those two guys? Great players. Jamias Pittman, um, he is he's a dog. <laughs> what I mean by that is his mentality, he is so fierce. And I remember talking to this kid a couple years ago, and he said then, no, we're a power five defensive line. You know, this was before, you know, they – they quote-unquote won the national championship, <laughs> you know, when nobody really believed in him or believed in the team. He always knew the talent that they had. So I definitely think he's someone that has, like, a, a fierce mentality. He's a fierce competitor, hard worker. He's really worked to change his body, and he's put on some weight. Um, Aaron Evans, uh, he was – I think he was a starting left tackler for all four years, I want to say. Uh, he was one of the most consistent parts about the team. Um, he's consistent. He's very, very bright. Very bright. I think he can figure out any offensive system that you put him in because he is a very smart kid. Um, he also changed his body. I know he dropped a little bit of weight. I'm sorry, actually, he put a little bit of weight on because he had a, a back surgery uh, in December, so he lost a couple pounds, but he put it back on. Um, so I think both of those guys have a, a shot to be really solid pro players. Shannon, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Great stuff, and best of luck to you. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Thanks, Shannon. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. You're very welcome. That is Shannon Green, the Orlando Sentinel, covers UCF, does a great job. You can find her on Twitter as well. And Lance, um, look, UCF was one of the big stories in college football this year, went undefeated, obviously didn't get put into the uh, the uh, college football playoffs at the end of the year, but they have some very, very talented players, and Mike Hughes, in my opinion, will be the first one off the board. And I think where Griffin ends up going is going to be interesting. Like Paul Dottino, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, and he says, look, I don't think I could convince myself to draft him. I, I disagree. To me, you get into day three, and you're sitting yeah. there in round four or round five, and, you know, he had such, such production. And, you know, picks in four, five, six, and seven – I'm not going to say the crapshoots, but your chance of success is already pretty low. If you have a chance to pick a kid that you know has the right mindset, a great attitude, has production, and he knows how to overcome his, his physical disability, for lack of a better word, uh, I think it, it, it's a hard thing to ignore. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, plus a guy that is going to be willing to come in and play special teams, too, to me, is appealing as well. And, and that's the worst-case scenario yeah. for him. He could be a, just a dynamite special teams guy. And you know what? You'll take that. Because yeah. let's face it, if you're going to draft him in the fourth or the fifth round, let's say hypothetically or maybe even later— it's unlikely you're bringing him in as a starter. Not right away, no. So he's going to have to play special teams. He's going to have to earn his keep over the first few seasons. And then slowly he'll be able to work with NFL coaches, develop more on technique, build on what he already has laid out. And he could very well become a solid player, you know, year three or year four in the league. And that may be a decent investment, especially when, like you said, sometimes those are things rolling the dice late in the rounds. All right, folks, we got 10 minutes. Let's get your calls in at 201-939-4513. Alex Cupper, Louisville's radio analyst and former NFL offensive lineman, joins us at 1230 or a minute or so after. But let's go to your calls now. Jason in Maine joins us. Jason, what's up? You got Lance and John. Hey, how are you guys? Doing great, Jason. What's up? 
Well, first, I got to say, I love the video with Jeff trying to pull the lobster out of that box. <laughs> Jeff was very, was <laughs> very nervous about pulling the lobster out. So they out. actually arrived? I didn't realize this. Yeah, we did it on Friday show. Oh, wow. Go okay. on Giants.com and watch the last so five minutes or so. So he actually did send them. Ten of them. Wow. I'm very, impressed. very generous by Charlie. Excellent wow. job. That's and they were blown they, away by that. He, they were squirming around and stuff. Oh, really? oh yeah. So he actually opened it and. Uh, oh, he brought opened it on the air, took them out. Yeah. Fiegel was very nervous that he was going to get attached though. The fingers are still attached. Everything is in one piece. That's good yes. to hear. Very nice. <laughs> That's good to hear. Uh, I just wanted to hear your guys' opinion on this. I, I know uh, it'd probably be hard to do it, but I was just wondering what you guys thought of it, where we're coming up to the draft. There are different things we can talk about. But uh, about I know I've seen articles about Des Bryant wanting to stay in the NFC East, and I just wonder, do you guys think that would be a good idea to at least try and pursue him? Do you think he could fit in our offense? What, what, what do you guys think about the Des Bryant situation? Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? If you first? want to go first, that's fine. Here's the thing about Des Bryant. I'm going to take everything on the field off the table. Dave Gettleman's tried to bring in a certain type of person into this locker room this offseason. Nate Solder, Jonathan Stewart, Alec Ogletree, and all you've heard out of the Cowboys camp since they've kind of started going down this road with Des is, quite frankly, what a pain in the butt he is to deal with. <laughs> huh. And, yeah. you know, there seems to be some indications from the report that there were a number of players on the team that were simply tired of dealing with him and that he was a pain in the butt. So I think that is something that I would be surprised if Dave Gettleman pursued, given the type of people he's been trying to bring into this locker room, to set a new culture that clearly last year you had some issues with with all the suspensions and things like that. I'm just not sure Dez, just in terms of locker room personality fit, would necessarily make sense. Uh, I think that's fair. I mean, the other thing that I'll add is you got Brandon Marshall on the roster right now, and he's 6'3". So the whole point of bringing in a player like Dez, and there's no crime in looking into it and maybe having conversations, but why are you bringing him in if you already have somebody financially solidified on the roster for one more year? And if you're going to bring in Dez, you're probably going to do a one-year contract. You're not going to give him a multi-year deal. It's going to be trial-by-error type of thing. You'll say, hey, approve it type of contract. But Marshall fits that role. He would be the red zone target. He's got the height, and he's on a reasonable contract. I, I just... I don't see why you would need him unless, obviously, they decide to move on from Brandon Marshall. But as it appears right now, he's on the roster. Okay. Well, that's pretty much all I had, guys. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you, Jason. Got it. Appreciate it. We call. can squeeze in one or two more calls, folks, if you want to get in real quick at 201-939-4513. Um, a couple other things, Lance, on Dez. I watched a lot of him last year. I even went back after the year and, and, and looked at the tape of, of – I was actually looking at the tape of Dak Prescott to see kind of where he took a step back from last year just for informational purposes. And what I saw was Des Bryant had a terrible season. Oh, he had a lot of drops. Oh, man. Yeah. Double-digit drops, yeah. three or four of which became interceptions that went off his hands and went to defensive players. Now, in fairness, he also broke up some interceptions on jump balls to the sideline. But his route running was sloppy. He couldn't get any separation over the course of the year. Uh, he's on the wrong side of 30 now. He's had multiple foot fractures. You wonder how much he has left. And now, I think the big reason the Cowboys did this, yeah, you clear $8 million this year, and they'll use that on their draft class probably, and they'll carry whatever's left over to next season. You look at their cap situation next year now, they have the seventh most ca projected cap space of any other team in the NFL. It's almost 60 to $70 million, And they could use that money to... Extend Zach Martin. Yeah, which is priority number one. They can use that money to sign Demarcus Lawrence to a long-term contract. And eventually they are going to have to pay Dak Prescott as well. So those are all things 
that I think went into this Des Bryant decision. And I think it also makes it very likely the Cowboys are going to target a wide receiver in round yeah. one or two in the draft. Well, and if Ridley is there, Calvin Ridley's on the board at 19. I mean, that to me makes a lot of sense. But yeah. there's other good wide receivers, too, mm -hmm. if they wanted to wait till round two. I know they haven't drafted a wide receiver in the first round, coincidentally, since Des Bryant in 2010. And, and Terrence Williams was a second or a third round pick. Uh, Williams was later on. I'm not exactly sure which round. Mm -hmm. But he certainly wasn't a first rounder. And now you need to find Dez's replacement. And... You know, you could certainly go in that direction. They and they signed in, Alan Hearns. Yeah, too. they brought in Alan Hearns. They got Cole Beasley. They got two young guys in Ryan Switzer and Noah Brown. You know, they have some options. Listen, in this league, the wide receiver position is important. Don't get me wrong, but look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, they just came off a season with Blake Bortles where it wasn't the who's who of wide receivers <laughs> no. in the NFL, but you had a good offensive line and a good running game, and you could still find ways to win in this league. So, you know, people get so enamored with names. I think... Any team that wants to take a chance on Des Bryant, it makes sense if you have a void and you need a red zone target and you want to add some veteran experience. But I agree with you from a financial perspective. The Cowboys needed the flexibility. And, you know, John, you mentioned eventually they got to pay Dak. They got to pay Dak after this season. People forget this is going to be his third season in the NFL. He was a late-round pick. He doesn't have the fifth-year option. Right, but he, he he wouldn't be restricted, and you could put the tender on him, and be, he could match contracts. But so, in all I mean, likelihood, you know, you may want, for the sake of longevity, you may want to give him the long-term deal after this season. So that's another reason why they need some leeway in that department. Oren in Virginia. Let's try to squeeze him in. Oren, what's going on? Hello, guys. Um, I'm not liking what I'm hearing in the, the mock drafts and stuff now. What's that? What do you, you hear? Know, um, now that they want to just go get Saquon Barkley and – uh, what's that DN and stuff? Bradley and I Chubb. Like, I just feel like that's just such a bad idea. Well, well, what do you want to be the good idea then? Huh? What would be the good idea? I feel like we should get a, if Sam Donald. I either think we should trade out of the pick, or if Sam Donald and the Cleveland Browns decide to choose Josh Allen, and Sam Donald's right there. I feel like we have to take it. All right, Orrin, I agree. If Sam Darnold's there, if I'm the guy making the pick, I make the pick. So we're on the same page in that respect. Here's the problem with trading down right now. Peter King reported earlier this week the Broncos are very unlikely to trade up, all right? So then you're looking at having to probably go down to 12 with the Bills if you want to trade out of that pick. Are you willing to go that far down? Yeah, because okay. maybe, be, maybe we can get a tackle right now. Because I heard, you know, I'm hearing that Eric Frost didn't even show up to volunteer workouts. And those volunteer workouts are still like, you know what I'm saying? And we don't know how he's going to be. We don't know if he's happy that he's not playing left tackle. So we could have two first-round picks, three, two, three, two first-round picks, and we can get like a tackle or something. You know what I'm saying? Something like that. Yeah, but the value has to match the selection. You, yeah. you understand? Like, you don't just take a tackle because you need a tackle. The tackle's got to warrant a first-round pick. And at 12, you could pick Mike McGlinchey. I think that's the guy that you would reference in that spot. But, look, you've got, you've got to get more than just those two ones, too. I mean, if you're trading with Buffalo and you're going to 12 and 22, you need a second-round pick this year, their first-round pick next year, and then you might need something else to sweeten the pot even more. So you've got to see if – uh, the Bills are even willing to make that trade. Maybe they're willing to roll the dice uh, for a year with um, A.J. McCarron. Yeah, who knows? Honestly, honestly, I feel like the Bills are desperate, and I feel like they haven't had a franchise quarterback in so long. Yeah, that's, it, it, you saw how they benched Tyrod Taylor. No, Orrin, Orrin, look, you could very well be right, and that might be the case, but... We don't know that for sure. We don't I don't know, know, if, a, I don't know yeah. if a phone call has been made. I don't know what they're offering, and nobody does. 
the, just remember, it's easy to say you have to trade down, and I'm fine with trading down. If you get the right value for the pick, I'm fine with it. But we don't know what offers are on the table. So that's something that you'll have to kind of wait and see. We appreciate hey, the call, Arn. Hey, one more kid in Real fast. Okay. Um, also, I, I like what the caller said about the Dez Bryant thing. But then I realized you can't have two per him and Odell. You can't have two hyper players like that, emotional players on the same team. I they can, both want the yeah, ball. I All can right. see that being a problem. Thank you, Orrin. I appreciate the call. Though I, I wouldn't get too wrapped up into what happens on the sideline. It's more important what happens on the field. Absolutely. But again, I'm the, again. If you have Brandon Marshall, Sterling Shepard, Evan Graham, Odell Beckham Jr., and your draft Saquon Barkley, how the hell are you getting the football, to everybody? <laughs> let's yeah, be honest I mean, for a second. You have to okay. Take that into consideration. Yeah, please. All right, let's go to our next guest, Alex Cupper, former offensive lineman in the NFL, and now he's the radio analyst for Louisville football. Alex, you got John Schmelk and Lance Meadow up here in East Rutherford, New Jersey. How are you today? I'm doing well, guys. Hope you all are doing well up in uh, New Jersey. Oh, we're doing wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, let's get to the main attraction here. And it's actually not going to be Lamar Jackson because I think Jair Alexander okay. actually might be the highest graded player on your team coming out in the draft. Uh, he ran great at the Combine. Uh, where do you think he fits best in the NFL, Jair? Do you think he's more of a press man guy? Do you think he's better in zone, inside, outside? Where do you think his scheme fit is in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, Jair, I, I, I tend to agree with you. And it's crazy, you know, Lamar gets all the puppets, but Jair is, is a super, super talented guy. And um, if, if I'm personally recommending him in a system, it would be more of that press man. Um, he, for how, you know, he's not as super tall, long, like Richard Sherman type guy, but he's got sneaky long arms and he's very, very physical. So getting him up on the line of scrimmage, I think he's going to be multiple. He'll be able to fit in uh, into some zone concepts, but – yeah, that press man where you can really let him get after the receiver, uh, I think that's going to be his best fit. Alex, I know he – oh, I'm sorry. Did you have more on that? Didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. Okay. No, you'll go ahead. I was going to say that 2017 was plagued by some injuries for him, and I know that may have led to some uneven production. How much do you put into his film in 2017 as a result of the injuries? Yeah, that, that injury, uh, the first game of the year, was really freaky against Purdue. It was it was a goofy play, um, a block or a tip field goal, and the ball was rolling down towards the goal line, and some goofy defense alignment um, tried to go grab the ball, and Jair just picked it up and started running with it. But uh, yeah, th those those couple games back from injury, he probably pushed it a little too early. Um, it's the tape uh, towards the end, the, the first part of that Purdue game, and then I would probably say. Um, not NC State, but the game after, Wake Forest on maybe, um, is when you really start seeing Jair take off and, you know, show how dominant he was in the conference. Um, and if you need to see any tape, just pull up Clemson last year or two years ago with Deshaun Watson. I mean, anybody that can man up Mike Williams like that, I know Mike Williams didn't have a great first year in the pros. I mean, he, he is a dude. He'll be able to stop some big-time players. How about his con contribution on special teams, big-time punt return, or is he someone that can make a difference as a return man on the next level? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he his ball skills were, I mean, sneaky, sneaky good. Um, as a cornerback, they were thinking about uh, moving him over to wide receiver temporarily when they had some injury issues several years back. But, wow. yeah, no, I think I think he'll definitely be able to return punts for sure. Um, never really got him uh, consistently back there, get field and kickoffs. But punt return, I think it'll be uh, – he'll definitely get a shot there. 
you mentioned it in terms of his coverage skills and you pointed to what he did against Mike Williams, but you know, playing corner at the next level, it's also important to aid in run support. What was he like in terms of helping and stopping the run and how aggressive is he to take on that? You know, he's very smart, so he, he understands he's not going to be able to go blow up a running back. So, you know, you got you, you had uh, some of those Clemson running backs slip out of the backfield, NC State, um, with Hines, and he, he knows how to go low on them and uh, really get them down to the ground. And he flies up, he attacks the line of scrimmage. If you, if you ever see a cornerback timid, I know you guys have seen some of those in your past, be really timid on going to attack the line of scrimmage, that's probably not a good thing. He really gets after it and tries to get the ball carrier either turned back to the rest of the defense or down on the ground. And he was, uh, he was pretty successful doing that. What are you hearing about where you think he might go in the draft? Do you think he's going to sneak into that second half of round one? I think so. I mean, it, when going into it, and I, I didn't really have a great feel. I'm not a draft expert by any means on what the uh, what the cornerback uh, draft class was going to look like. But after the combine and you know seeing some of his tape lined up with some of the other guys, it's yeah, he could definitely find himself in that 15 to 18 range. Um, and, yeah, I agree. you know, that's, that's a great, that would be a great spot for him, I think. I know Lamar Jackson is the guy that we want to talk to, but I just want to stay on the secondary side of things before we jump to the mm-hmm. offensive side. And another one that's interesting is the safety, uh, Chucky Williams. You know, where do you see mm-hmm. his upside given what he's produced at the collegiate level? Yeah, Chucky, Chucky's a guy, so whenever you look at, look at dudes that are probably going to be later in the draft, Potential uh, uh, unsigned free agent guys. He, he's a guy that played a ton of special teams, and he's a great tackler, uh, very physical as well. Cover skills are okay, but when you talk about trying to make a roster, like I was a part of, unfortunately I was a lineman, so I couldn't play special teams, but um, had had some a ton of run on kickoff returns and kickoffs. So having that comfortability with that, uh, Chucky Williams wise, is really going to give him an advantage. Uh, over some guys on trying to make a roster. We're joined by Alex Cupper, radio analyst, Louisville football. Well, let's jump to Lamar uh, Lamar Jackson here. And I think there's just so much misinformation out there about him. He has his strengths. He has his weaknesses. He's not a perfect prospect by any means. But I think the one thing that people seem to miss, Alex, is that Bobby Petrino has a decent amount of pro passing concepts in his system where he's reading layers of defenses, he's you know doing progression reads, he's reading both sides of the field. I don't think his transition to understanding NFL offenses is going to be quite as tough as a lot of people think because he was asked to do some pretty advanced stuff at Louisville, right? Oh, definitely. You know, Bob, Bobby likes to incorporate a lot of, lot of two-man concepts, um, work, work a man side and its own side. Yeah. So you can see that, actually. As Lamar has progressed, he works his feet. You know what he he sees what the defense gives him pre pre snap, and then he works which side um, afterwards that he he sees favorable. So there, yeah, there's a ton of um, primary and secondary reads that he gets to. Um, it's just you know in the NFL it moves so much faster. So being able it, the the fact or the, if there's a question out there if the kid's going to be coachable, just look at the last three years. I mean he 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 went into the Louisville program not even knowing what a playbook was to being able to diagnose and break down defenses and just produce produce produce. So um, I think if he gets in a scheme where people bring him under his wing and really teach him how you know the next step of football with NFL it's all football. So you. You diagnose all kinds of things from a um, quarterback's position, and you need to know what every single defender is showing you and what they're going to do. 
uh, post-snap. So there's a lot of information that's going to have to be gathered, but he, he's a kid that's going to want to take it all in. So I, I'm, I'm very encouraged, and I, I think an NFL team will be as well. Well, and whenever you fall under the umbrella of a mobile quarterback, Alex, everybody wonders how's your durability going to hold up and how's your decision-making going to hold up because they think of the RG3s and some of the other guys that have been so banged up during the course of their careers. How disciplined is he in terms of knowing when to take a slide, when to run out of play, given the fact that he has the ability to really extend plays and get those game-changing type of plays? Yeah, I mean, it's, that, that, is, that would be, you know, if there's top question marks, that's going to be one that has to be drilled home to him, just knowing, I mean, I, watching him produce at Louisville, he, he was basically, once he got out of the pocket or there was a design, he was a running back, essentially. He, he was a quarterback, but at, uh, during that play, and he ran like a running back, he lowered his shoulders, he, he wanted to get every single yard possible. That's not going to fly in the NFL, just from knowing how, you know, how hard the hits are and how frequent they could be. Uh, so I, I think he'll be able to learn you know, after the first couple of times when he gets popped a little bit. It's like, you know what, I need, I need to conserve my energy, conserve my, uh, my, um, my body a little bit and try and take some slides. And if, you, if there's an avenue to get out of bounds, get out of bounds. So, I, I mean, it's, it's a little easier said than done because he's such a competitor. But I, I think those first couple of times he'll, he'll learn his lesson. You know, Alex, and one thing about his throwing that maybe concern is too, too strong of a word but has me maybe thinking twice a little bit, he doesn't really seem to, like, drive his throws with his legs. He, he kind of flips the ball a little bit. But he gets the ball down the field. He has good arm strength. But I wonder if, you know, they don't really ask him to throw outside the numbers and the numbers much on, like, outgoing routes. And I wonder if that has to do with the fact that he doesn't really drive with his legs much and he kind of just kind of flips the ball with his arm. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, he has an arm talent where he can do so, so he can get away with it. Right. Um, I'm with you, though. There, there's some things. Uh, there's some things that he can clean up from a footwork, and at his pro day, I, I really noticed it. Um, just cleaning up that three to five step, snapping back, and being able to drive off those. You, you can tell it's a focus for him. Got it. Is what I'm trying to say, but yeah, no, it's he's been able to get away with things, and sometimes, I mean. You know, Brett, Brett Favre would, and Aaron Rodgers make throws off of one leg. And it's, you know, if you have the arm talent, it's just that's good for you. But um, being able to deliver an accurate ball is, I think, is what I've been told is what he's been trying to uh, work on on the outside the numbers, those those outgoing 15-yard um, okies or whatever. So he's – I know that's a focus for him, and he knows that's uh, what he's got to clean up. But, yeah, he, he can flick it, and it can go, it can go pretty far. There's been a lot of comparisons to Michael Vick because of the way he sort of flips his wrist as he throws. And then there's also been some comparisons to Deshaun Watson, Alex, based on how he's able to overcome some of those mental mistakes and, you know, put a bad play behind him and then all of a sudden wow you. You know, how realistic are those comparisons? And, you know, if you had to go with either of those quarterbacks, who do you think he's most similar to? You know, I think I think he's more of a Michael Vick. You know, Deshaun Watson, super. I mean, why, watching that game in 2016, it was a boat race up and down the field, and um, just getting a first-hand look at Watson. The dude can just spin it, and running isn't his primary. But if if it had to be done, he would run the football. But uh, can really operate an offense uh, very efficiently. Lamar Lamar's that that explosive. You know, I'm I'm looking for a home run type of hit. So. He needs. He is more of a Michael Vick right now, but he needs to work himself to more of a Deshaun Watson for that longevity aspect, like you all mentioned. It, yes, the home run may be with your legs, 
but you're going to play a lot longer and you're going to be more successful if you dish the ball out to people and get, let them do the running and gun it. So um, I would say that it's more of a Michael Vick right now just because, you know, when, you, when there's a decision that needs to be made and the team needs a first down, Lamar, if he, if he doesn't see anything open, he's going to run it. And um, Deshaun Watson, a little more, he likes to extend plays and get the ball downfield as receivers. So um, if that, yeah, I would say it's more of a Michael Vick at this point. Yeah, and Alex, I agree. I think Lamar may be sometimes a little bit too quick to run out of that pocket, even when there wasn't a ton of pressure. I think, he, you know, he has the legs, why not use him? But in, like you said in the NFL, that could get dicey. Final one for me on Jackson. Have you heard of any team showing particular interest in him? I know there was, you know, some talk about whether or not he's tough to get in touch with with the way he's, you know, doing his representation and things of that nature. I think he could be a top 15 pick the way quarterbacks would go quickly in this draft. Uh, what are you hearing about what teams might be uh, have their uh, fishing stick in the old pond looking for Lamar Jackson? Sure, you know. Um, really, the one that's hot and heavy, which it caught, it caught a lot of Twitter interest, I guess, if that is a barometer you can use, <laughs> um, would, be, would, be the, would be the Patriots. And, um, and it makes sense. I mean, I think it's a team, you know, uh, the Steelers would be smart to take a look at them. Uh, the, these teams that have quarterbacks that are within the, you know, their they're tread on their tires is three to four years. Um, something where you can bring them in two or three years and let them really learn from a great quarterback. That makes sense to me, um, but if there's if there's a team out there uh, that's willing to go after him and want him to be the guy, it would be in that top twenty top twenty selection. I I'm on the belief that it'll be at the end of the first round, early second, the team that's uh, willing to coach him along and really bring him along to the NFL level. You know, we talk so much about the X's and O's and how he conducts himself on the field. I'm curious, since you've been around him, I mean, what is his personality like? And, you know, how does he command the huddle and you think he'll gel with future NFL teammates? Yeah, no, off the field, just personally interacting with him briefly uh, and team hotels and whatnot. Very, very calm and composed guy. Um, not never too loud. You know, he's not the loud one. He, you know, he's smirky. He jokes with his teammates and whatnot but he's he's never too vibrant and you you kind of almost miss him if you're not looking for him kind of guy so that's that's really what you're looking for and that's what nfl teams are looking for they don't need the loud mouth they need a guy that's going to show up and work every day so um from everything that we've noticed that i've noticed in the past three years that that's all but he's done uh, he's been a professional so um as for conducting himself in the huddle it's that's the one thing, just knowing how the NFL works. The, the hardest part for a kid or a quarterback that was fed signals all through college is getting into that huddle, looking at the other 10 players and spitting out a paragraph long where the work. <laughs> so um, those, those are things that you've got to get used to, but um, I've seen quarterbacks develop that, and that's pretty easy. Once you do repetition-wise in practice, it gets pretty easy. So, um, no, I think he's going to be a professional uh, on and off the field. We'll just see what teams uh, – ready to go after it with him. I want to jump to the guy that was protecting Lamar Jackson's blind side, Jaron Christian, and I've seen him all over the place in some of these mock drafts. Some people have him as a round two pick. Some people have him as a round five pick. Um, what did you see from him in, in your time at Louisville? And obviously you understand what it takes to, to play line in college and then go do it at the NFL level. Uh, where do you think he's going to land, and what do you think his prospects are trying to translate his skill set to the pros? No, it's um... – you know, it's one of those things where he is a guy leaving early, um, not with a ton of high regard, you know, all-conference this, that, and taking home all-American accolades, but he's a guy that's super, super talented, has everything it takes to play at the next level. 
Um, as for being able to pick up on an offensive system, um, just like we've said about Lamar, there, there's a ton of pro aspects into Bobby Petrino's offensive playbook. So um, he should be comfortable with schemes and, you know, how terminology works. Uh, but, yeah, it, when it comes from all the tools, I mean, I've seen guy he, he has way more talent than I did uh, ever coming out of college, just, just his sheer size and how long he is. Um, and he's been able to snap the ball. So he, he's going to be versatile. Um, we'll, we'll see. I think um, if I had to gauge it, it'll be somewhere in the middle. I think if he – I think if Jaron goes in the third round, that would be that would be a really good um, – he would have made a really good decision for himself and, um, you know, hope the, hope the best for him. Alex, I was reading he played basketball in high school. I mean, that's really what his background was, and I think he attended like three different high schools. So it seems as if he's very raw and doesn't have a whole lot of experience playing football. And then whenever you think of somebody that has a background in basketball – you're worried about, well, do they have enough leverage when they play because they're so tall or they're so big? You know, do you see that as an issue in terms of his leverage and his size and how that may come back to bite him perhaps at the NFL level? Yeah, I mean, there, there was times where you, you you would see in the run game at least um, he'd be a little too tall. You know, he, he would fire off the ball and somebody would get inside of him and, you know, have that leverage like you're speaking to. But I saw him sink his hips several times on on bull rushes, which is you know from a tackle's perspective, that's a, that's the hardest thing to block when you have you know the the ten million dollar guy across the way that's got a full head of steam at you. Um, that you know that's one of the hardest things to do from a lineman perspective. So he 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 should be able to um, use his technique and his flexibility to be able to anchor on people. So that I wouldn't be too worried about that. I mean, he's it's just it's technical stuff, and he's got all the tools to get it done. So it's it's getting in the right system, um, getting coached up. You know, there's I told him there, you know there's 32 offensive line coaches that are top notch and know everything about football. So you just got to get in there, work your butt off, and learn learn from the best. Last one for me on uh, on Christian, and then we're going to touch on the uh, couple defensive linemen or edge rushers you have coming out. Um, Technically, and I'll let you go full out O-line, technical play and all that stuff. What fundamentals does he have to work on that those physical traits you talked about, Alex, do translate to the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I think it all comes down to your, your hand placement with him. Um, you know, he, he'd get a little wide sometimes. And you see guys that uh, are, I've, in my personal experience, seeing guys um, that are too strong, you know, they're, they're too strong for their own good, basically. I was I was the guy that had to have perfect technique to be able to execute blocks. But um, having tighter hands in the pass and run game, it just goes wonder. It, it does so much for you from your game perspective. You can really own defense alignment if you get that tight hand placement. So uh, that, would, that would be my full-on O-line coaching up ability for Jerome. Well, John alluded to a few of the defensive linemen. And, you know, one guy who I think – stands out in terms of his physicality, but the question is his medicals is Trayvon Young. What do you make of him health-wise, and has he proven enough since battling all these injuries that you think a team would take a chance on him? Yeah, I mean, it, w- it was a good thing for Trayvon to be able to attend the Combine so that he could clear. I mean, that that's, like you said, that that's every NFL team's issue with him is that, you know, hip displacement and had to you know, there's probably a ton of scar tissue still left over. And you could see, you know, in, in the first part of games, you really saw him get off the football and really, you know, pop the offensive lineman and get a good edge rush going. And he, as the game went on, you could see him kind of wear down or he, temp, he, he backed off of it a little bit. So I think it's just the more, the more he settles in and more football he plays, because you could, you could tell he was 
cautious about it uh, in the early parts of the season and didn't really want to push it too hard. So once he gets more confidence and, um, you know, NFL teams are comfortable with him playing back where he was a couple years ago, I think it'll be a good fit. He, yeah, he's super physical, has long, long arms, is able to set the edge um, and did so very effectively for Louisville. Uh, finally, James Hearns, uh, he was a big-time prospect. I know he had some injuries early in his Louisville career. Then he had some off-the-field stuff in his final year. But if you look at the games he played and his tackles for loss, his sacks, his forced fumbles, he was just a playmaker for you guys next year. How do you project him to the next level? You know, James and Trayvon, for that matter, have to um, – they're, they're going to be the undersized Stevens events. So those guys, as you all know, those are special teams guys. So if you're talking late-round free agent picks, um, they, they're going to have to be able to play special teams, and that's the one thing, you know, Hearns didn't do a lot of. He, he was very effective and um, was a sneaky good pass rusher. He was able to get around a lot of guys and be very productive. So I think he'll shock some people um, in camp what, with his pass rushing ability. But it, it's, it's that next phase because you, you already – most teams already have their edge rushers. So you're going to be able to – you have to stand out some other way. And with James and Trevon, it's going to have to be on that special team. So covering kickoffs, you know, blocking, blocking for punts and all those things. That's, those are things that are skills that they still have to develop. So we'll just see um, – you know, that, that's, and that's all about attitude and want to. So those two guys, I'm sure, are aware of that. And that's um, what they're going to be tasked with in their first couple of years. Alex Last one for me. You mentioned, you know, they may be undersized, so therefore they're going to have to learn how to play special teams. I'm just curious, 4-3 versus 3-4 for Young and Hearns, is there an ideal fit for the two of them versus one scheme? Yeah, no, I think that I think that it would be, um, you know, both of them probably in a 3-4. Trayvon might be able to get away with that nine technique uh, on a, in a 4-3 going towards the tight end side. Um, but you know, set, set an edge against those big linemen uh, consistently. That's that's going to be a tough, tall task. So I would say um, both of them in a three-four, they would be more comfortable and more apt to um, be successful. Alex, great stuff. We appreciate the time. Thanks so much, and we'll catch up with you another time. All right. Thanks a lot, Alex. All right. You'll take care. Alex Cupper, former NFL offensive lineman. Louisville radio analyst, good job giving us the lowdown on some of the prospects coming out of Louisville. We got seven minutes or so left in the show. We have time to squeeze in a couple of calls, and we're going to go to Lance's favorite caller next. Oh, I got a bad Wonderful. Feeling about See, this. we Hell talk about him. Losing his he mind. hears that, and that gives him more ammunition to call in. And I'm gladly talking over this intro because I'm not too fond of this intro, and I think we're wasting airtime. So that's why I'm not going to lose out on the airtime that we're wasting. In fairness, I think you talking is probably more of a waste of airtime. That's fine, but I think I think that to me is a very close second. Charlie, what's up? Yes. Hey, John. Hey, Lance. Hey, Lance, look at it this way. That's less time I have to talk. So That's true. Like yeah, but, you know, you find a way to make up for it anyway because I know we're going to get to 75 million different things that you're going to have to throw your two cents in. You so don't want Des. Well get started. You don't want Des Bryant, do you, Charlie? No, I got three things. Okay. One is about Des, okay? No, I mean, I would I would be fine. I'm just looking, I'm just looking at Marshall. Marshall's 34 years old. He's got a bum ankle. Which he hasn't be, he hasn't been cleared yet. Um, you got Des Bryant who's twenty nine, um, and maybe Des and Odell would actually 
you know, they could scream to each other and, you know, <laughs> hype each other up. And, and that way, you know, they kind of set off each other, but they're not going to be bothering the coaches or their other players. You know what I'm saying? It might, it might melt them out. It might, you know, might be a good negative for both of them. They have someone that they, they can go after with each other and hype each other up. And, I'm not sure you know, if get the, each other going. I'm not sure if the double negative concept works <laughs> quite as well in, in the NFL locker room as it does in multiplication, Charlie, but good try. <laughs> well, and here's the other thing, Charlie, you brought up Marshall's age and the fact that he was hurt for the majority of the season. That's fine, and Dez is a little bit younger, but Dez has also missed 10 games combined in the last three seasons. So when you take that into consideration, despite Dez's youth, he also has been plagued by the injury bug. No, that's true. I mean, you know, I, I'm just saying if you're going to keep Marshall, I would rather bring Dez in because I think he'd be less money. Marshall's like $5.5 I disagree. Million. I disagree. I think Dez would command more money. No, he said he. You know, he's saying he would love to play for the Giants, and I think he'd go cheap. This is what I do. Well, but I keep him, keep in mind. I just give, keep just keep this in yeah. mind, Charlie. Dez made twelve and a half million dollars. That's what he was set to make this season. That was his base right. salary. His cap hit was sixteen and a half million. So when you talk about a player that says he wants to go somewhere, it's nice to say. It's another thing when you get to the negotiating table and you're going to go from twelve and a half million to now two, three million. I find that very difficult to believe because I think there's a team out there that can utilize his services that could probably meet him in the six to maybe eight ballpark, and I wouldn't be surprised if somebody offers him that. Yeah, I mean, that's true, but does he really want to go to Green Bay and freeze his butt off up there? I don't well, think I mean, so. I can but think of a lot worse things to do than have Aaron <laughs> Rodgers throw me the football, <laughs> but leave it to Charlie to make a negative connotation about that. But I would. this is what I'd do. I'd give him 3.5. Million, and I give him some incentives. If if he's on the field and we beat Dallas two games, he gets a million dollars each game. All right, so Mr. Capologist. Has there ever been like an incentive that. in terms of you beating an opposing team twice? I, don't I mean, yeah. literally, has that ever happened? I would love Charlie. Charlie's going to find a way that it happened, even if it never happened. But he's our Capologist. If this is amazing, the things he makes up. Second, if the Giants beat the Cowboys two times. That would be a perfect time. incentive. He'd love it. Charlie, and, uh, topic my, two. My second, thing, <laughs> my second thing is Griffin. I don't think Griffin's going to be around to the fourth or fifth round. I think. This guy's a football player, and somebody's going to realize that, and they're going to pick this guy probably end of the second, top of the third. Uh, I think he's going to be gone. I'd be really surprised if he went in the bottom of the second, Charlie. I could see late third. I think there's a chance he's there at the top of the fourth round. I agree. I think fifth round you might be pushing your luck. Yeah. And the other one thing is Tampa Bay just lost their left tackle. For God's sakes, gentlemen, call them up. Give him Eric Flowers. We'll take a seventh round pick for him. Let's 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 move on. Get rid of him, and he can join JPP in Tampa Bay. How's that? Donovan Smith got hurt. I missed that. Well, here's the other thing. Why would you Eric Flowers for a seventh round pick? Why you might as well keep Eric Flowers for that, Charlie? Well, whatever I, I, I don't we can understand get. why you get a fifth round grade, a sixth round. But I'm saying well, this guy is he's. He's not he's not showing up, and I know it's not mandatory. But the guy is upset. He lost his left tackle position. Now he ha- he doesn't even get the right tackle position. He has to actually earn it and compete. The Golden Child's never had to do that. And he's also Golden they haven't God. picked up his uh, option fifty year option. Also, his best friend got cut from the team, Bobby Hart. So you add all those things up, and then he thinks because he worked out last year at the at the center for the whole off season. And he's saying, "I look, I did all that, and you guys are taking my my Charlie, job away." Charlie, let me from ask me? you a question. Listen, let him go. First of all, 
w- w- he has a lot to prove, and he's going to have to show that once training camp starts and they get on the field and they actually can start competing. But the way you talk about him is as if he's had a private conversation with Eric Flowers, and Eric has laid out all of his emotions yes. and his feelings <laughs> just to Charlie. I didn't know this. No, I, talk, I didn't know I Charlie had an exclusive agent. interview with Eric Flowers. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you talked to his agent. Well, actually, me. no, you were happy. Yeah. So, I mean, my you know, apologies. Lance, when he was there two yeah. weeks ago when he was in the middle of the Gettleman-Odell negotiations, we knew exactly what was going on there. That's right. Then he stopped by and he talked to Eric Flowers' agent, and then yeah. he had a conversation with him as well. Well, I mean, Charlie, right, watch, his Rolodex is immense. Watch what happens. Yes. Watch what happens with Mr. Flowers. I'm just saying there's an opportunity to uh, release him, get rid of him. Uh, he was never part of the old line. He never liked being around the guys, uh, that type of stuff. We heard about that. I mean, come on. I mean, it's time to move on from him. I mean, that's... It hey, Charles, here's is, the thing. I, I would not – look, if that happened at some point, would it shock me, no. blow me away? No, but I think, much like they're doing with Eli Apple, I think this front office wants to try to give as many of these guys a clean, clean slate and give them a chance to earn their way onto the field. Here's the thing, though. They did not draft yeah. Eric Flowers. They're not going to give him any preferential treatment. If he's not good enough to play, he ain't going to play. And I'm with you guys, both of you, in terms of that philosophy, but – why would you part ways with talent now? For when, a seventh-round pick, though. No. no, but also when you're trying to compete and you're trying to foster right. competition for starting jobs. Well, See, you it, said it, talent. I well, think that was but a big regardless, mistake. But, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie, regardless of what you think of the player, you're in the 90-man roster phase right now. Why are you in a hurry to get rid of players? If you're ultimately going to get rid of a guy, you wait to see how the competition plays out, and when you make final cuts, that's when you do it. I, I just think it's a completely unnecessary move at this point. Thank you, Charlie. Okay, okay, guys. Take care. We got to go. All right, Charlie. By the way, if, if they do trade him for a seventh-round pick, then people like Dave Dominic and I have to be here an extra three or three hours, two hours, Dave, on, on the Saturday of the draft. This way, we're out after the second pick in the fifth round. An additional Get the press conference yeah. done by 2.30, 2.45. Yep. We out of the building. Go enjoy the weather a little bit, and that'll be okay, preferable. Well, that's one selfish way to look at it. Oh, that's an extremely selfish way well, of looking at it, but I'm the quite okay with that. But there's also no guarantee Just that kidding. if we go with Charlie's hypothetical, right. and we've clearly wasted too much time on his hypothetical, but who's to say that you're getting a draft pick this year? You may get a draft pick next year, even if you move him, too. So you wouldn't even have to worry about rushing out of the building. I think the... Draft would stay as is if they wind up pulling off a trade and they get a draft pick for next year. So I don't think you complain about that either. Good stuff, Lance. But obviously the goal is to always get you out of the building in a very quick time frame. Of course. So, yes. Talent gets taken care of first, then the football talent is second. So I'm okay with that. I, I did think that you were going to disagree <laughs> with those sentiments. So <laughs> Just kidding, obviously. That's why I brought it up. For Lance Meadow, I'm Josh Froke. That's Big Blue Kickoff Live tomorrow. It's me and Dettino. We have... Iowa and Florida State still trying to nail down those guests for tomorrow. And then on Thursday is Lance and Fiegel's. Dave Gettleman's press conference will be after the show, so they'll kind of preview that yeah. press conference. And uh, I think you got three schools coming up on Thursday, Correct. right? Yes, we'll have Florida, Stanford, and Oregon. So that'll be our final three schools. And then on Friday, big-time show. Me and Dettino back on. Charles Davis, NFL Network. Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus. Make sure you tune into that. For Lens Menno, I'm John Schmelk, and that's Big Blue Kickoff Live for this Tuesday. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow on Giants.com. Everybody, have a wonderful day. Have a good one.